Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the Art of Game Mastery's Finding Path stream. Um, I know it's a day late. Uh, we Yesterday I had some issues with power outages due to a storm up in the uh, western Washington area. And yeah, it was, I mean, I did get my power back eventually, but then internet was out for a while. So we just ended up calling it and we thought we really want to do this episode. So let's... Uh, Let's do it tomorrow, which is a bit unorthodox for us, but hopefully it works out. We'll see how this goes. Um, I'm John, co-host Jack. Let's see if I got this direction right. Yeah, I got it right this time. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, something a little Halloween-esque. Uh, we call it Bringing Your Dead to Life, uh, which, as the name implies, is going to be about how to take you know the undead... Uh, creatures in the rule book as well as create your you know ones you create yourself how to spice them up you know add a bit of uh uniqueness to them and throw a wrench in your character's plans um <laughs> i think we're mostly going to be focused on creatures this time around though there thanks to the a couple of the recent books from paizo there are some actually like ancestries that kind of fit this theme as well so we didn't really plan to talk about that stuff, but as we were prepping for this session right before this, I was thinking, huh, it might not be a bad thing to talk about. So maybe we'll get into it. Uh, maybe not. Uh, we'll see what happens. So um, I think first we're going to start with uh, zombies, which is everyone's favorite undead, I think. Um, just because they're so ubiquitous, I think, with with not only the tabletop RPGs, like Dungeons and Dragons whatnot, but also just in the horror theme in general. Like, zombies are something that everyone knows about whether they're into horror or not um yeah jack you want to talk a little bit about what kind of uh, oh. abilities zombies have and whatnot and actually i'm gonna bring up um see if i can do this after the fact net this right. has an awesome page on when you're creating your zombies what kind of abilities like ideas for abilities to add to them and whatnot so let me see if i can they uh, really do um so while he's pulling that up how's it going everybody uh, we're going to talk a little bit about zombies and how to add them into your game to kind of uh, bring your dead to life. Let's start off with some zombie rot. This is what I, you pretty much stole the word I wanted to use about being ubiquitous. Um, when you see Night of the Living Dead and um, a lot of those like Walking Dead movies, there is this overwhelming presence of some kind of disease or something that is spread throughout the land where just... You get touched by them, you get bit, you get scratched, and then you contract it. And then pretty soon you're going to be joining them as part of the Walking Dead. And it's really not that prevalent in uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. And I noticed that there is only one kind of reference for it in Pathfinder. So if you're playing D&D 5th Edition, steal this idea from Pathfinder, put it in your games, give your zombies some virulent way of spreading their necromancy. A lot of times the necromancers in your games kind of steal the show with you know having magic being able to raise the dead so it spreading via disease kind of gets thrown by the wayside but this right here is exactly what we're looking for to kind of make the combat a little more interesting so i think this is pretty much a graveyard smash right here we've got an infected creature that's you can't heal damage that you take from this disease so that right there is going to get your player's attention. They're going to take just a little bit of damage at the second stage. So uh, start off with like 1d6 of negative damage. If you're doing um, 
John, what's the uh, element type in fifth edition that would be associated with negative? It's Do they call it it's negative. Necrotic it's just called negative. It's um, not called It's just they have negative and positive damage in two E, so it'd be negative damage. But right. um, are you, you're talking about zombie rot right now, right? In particular, absolutely. Okay, mm -hmm. just making sure I had but the right for, thing out. For switching for it over into yeah, we got that. For switching it into fifth edition, they have I think they have necrotic damage. Does that sound yes, right? Correct. Right. So one d six negative for Pathfinder, necrotic for fifth edition, and then when you advance to the next stage. Um, instead of taking it, looks like you would take it daily, you would start taking, um, it looks like it goes all the way up to the fourth, fifth stage, but once you take enough damage from that, and you're dead, you rise up as a plague zombie, or a zombie with this plague brought. It's pretty straightforward. You start to, infected starts taking damage. Infect, what did Ayla say? Infected, not if I make my fort save. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta make that fort save. Yeah, okay, I mean, so it's actually, I mean, it is a fairly low fort save as well. It's only a DC 18. Um, this is a level one creature, so you're probably gonna be throwing now, it at your party early. Um, unfor I actually threw these at you guys in Shifting Sands early on, um, but I actually made a mistake and kind of forgot about Zombie Rot, so no one went down anyway, but is what it right, is. Right, so this starts off at DC 18. Now, that is a scale, so... If you if you do have a chance to look at some of those other monsters that have the zombie rot, they'll mm -hmm. list a new DC that's based right. off of their level. So well, for the plague zombie in particular, it's 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 an eighteen. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, if you look at some of the other ones that zombie rot can affect, they'll all say that they have zombie rot, and it'll give them a new disease. It's more looking at the individual creatures. Um, so eighteen is really low, but as you get higher, you can scale it. If you're playing fifth edition, that would be a Constitution saving throw. Uh, 18 would be pretty rough, I think. Uh, can't dump those gains, right? Yeah, it looks like none of the none of the other zombies in the actual official books have zombie rot, but you can totally add zombie rot to any zombie you create. Um, just just another ability, and the DC you would set based on the saving throw DC's component when you're creating that creature, which is in the game mastery guide. Um, so. Going, I guess, going back to these these various abilities, there's some really good ones in here. Um, disgusting. I don't know how to pronounce this word. Pustules. Is that correct? Pustules. Yeah. Gross. This one, uh, I also, I did get a chance to use one of you guys, and it was fun. Um, the zombie is covered in pustules that rupture when it takes any piercing damage or any critical hit. Uh, in either case, adjacent creatures are hit with a vile fluid, causing them to become sickened one unless they succeed at a fortitude save. Um, this is a really fun one because generally I like to avoid stifling people's enthusiasms on like critical hits, but this isn't super like a big deal. So I think it adds a fun little like, oh, I got a critical hit. Oh shit, now I'm now I'm sickened. <laughs> so I think it's a fun little like slight that isn't too crazy that you know, takes away the fun out of the game, but also still adds a little surprise element to things like that. Um, if you have any rogues in your in your party, this is this is one they're 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 going to get affected by this usually first because most of their damage is piercing. Um, yeah, it's a fun it's a fun little it's a fun little ability. And there's feast if the zombie is so adjacent to the helpless or unconscious creature or a deceased creature that died in the past hour. The zombie can feast upon its flesh to heal itself. 
This restores an amount of hit points equal to the zombie's level. If the creature is alive, the zombie deals damage equal to its jaws, fist, or claw that damage. Is, this one's brutal. Great, that one is a great one to use in combat when you have one zombie go down and you see another one just start eating its its ally because that is just going to, you know, yeah. it's probably going to like shake up your players a little bit. Like, why is he eating? Oh, and they're going to realize pretty darn quick. Now, to really play this effectively you would also be feasting on downed players which is very brutal because every time they take damage when they're unconscious they're gonna have to remake that save and b potentially become further dying or even dead at that point so nobody, it's quite brutal um like <laughs> but that, that would be <laughs> a more realistic way of playing it i think oh yeah that is vicious john that that right there, hitting a down player. Everybody already has, you know, enough. Uh, it gets really tense when you start rolling those death saves. Yeah. Plague ridden is the next one they have. The zombie carries a plague that can create more of its own kind. This functions as the plague zombie zombie rot, except at stage five, the victim rises as another of the zombie's type rather than the plague zombie. This is basically just zombie rot, just a more generic version of it. Um, rotting That's aura the, the zombie emits an aura of rot and disease that causes wounds to fester and turn sour any living creature that starts its turn within 10 feet of the zombie and is not at full hit points takes 1d6 damage as his wounds fester the damage increases by 1d6 every six hours the zombie has or six sorry levels. six levels the zombie has mm -hmm. creatures that take a critical hit from the zombie also take this damage immediately this one doesn't seem Ooh. very potent at first but it adds up quite quickly um i like this one because it feels like it's gonna sneak up on you mm -hmm. you know you you wait into battle and you don't quite notice you know that that aura that it might have and if you're not doing a recall knowledge in pathfinder then you know you you're not going to see it until you take that yeah. first wound and then the actually like, wait why are you taking damage i think it's that's a good point um i think a lot of players don't i mean myself included i forget to do this all the time as well but a lot of players don't uh take advantage of recall knowledge very often um, unless it's like just like a hand me out given by the GMs, like, hey, why don't you roll me a free recall knowledge check? But like, I feel like a lot of players don't want to spend their action to recall that knowledge. And I feel like it's such an integral part of Pathfinder 2E because it really lets you like capitalize on those strategic decisions that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Um, so actually, I really like, I like your point there about, you know, if you don't do that, a lot of these things are going to catch you off guard, um, you know, unless you're super familiar with the the monster manual or whatever, and or the bestiaries, and you know what the, what's coming. But then you run into the metagame point. So, eh. and and welcome to the T virus up next. Uh, unkillable. The zombie is nigh unkillable. The zombie loses its weakness to slashing, and gains resistance against all damage equal to its level, minimum of three. And it gains weakness equal to twice its level, minimum of six, to critical hits. Increase the zombie's level by one if you give it this ability. So, this basically just a flat-out, across-the-board buff to zombies. Zombie zombies elite. being weak to slash, in general, slashing damage, is kind of, kind of a a really useful thing for the players because it allows them to knock them out really quickly and have less chances to deal with the other abilities like Plague Rot and Rotting Order and whatnot. When you take that away, now they're more on a 
somewhat even playing field and there's a lot more opportunities for these other kind of effects to this, uh, fester. This really gives a meaning to the players when they're making decisions, whether you're playing fifth or pathfinder about if you're going to be using slashing weapons or blunt weapons. A lot of players, you know, they go for those two blades, they go for that ax with that slashing damage and this will show, you know, conversely to like a skeleton who is going to have the resistance. But this gives the players like a meaningful like, you know, decision process like they're choosing these type of weapons, they're going to go for the zombies. And then you throw this nigh unkillable at them and uh yeah. then they're not even going to get the benefit of it. I think um in a more classic style of game like a dungeon crawl like a, like a straight up dungeon crawl where you're just going in and out of a dungeon over and over again you know killing stuff collecting loot coming out resting going back in i think that's where this kind of stuff really like these resistances and weaknesses and whatnot really shine because it lets the players um really plan their attack like they go in they, they counter some zombies they make a strategic retreat they're like, okay, these things are weak to slashing. I normally carry a maul, but maybe this time I'm going to go in with a greatsword, you know, because we know what we're up against. We know what their weakness is. It's more effective to do that. Or maybe I'll bring both, you know, just to, you know, so we can do a skeletons, which are weak against bludgeoning and zombies, which is against slashing. So it really adds a bit of uh, um, planning to the characters or the players when they encounter these kind of things um and i think that's actually one interesting aspect of that style of play in general is that there's so much planning and strategy involved that you kind of lose in like a more modern sandbox or epic fantasy you know where players typically have their weapon of choice or, or weapon type of choice and they stick to it um i don't know maybe a fighter might be a little more uh, I would willing like to, to do this kind of thing in a more modern campaign? I don't know. Kind of pair weapons that are, you know, not identical. It's It would make for some interesting builds yeah. if players are thinking about, you know, having a, having a baton or a mace in one hand and a blade in the other. So there was a manga slash anime that I was... And actually, it's a light novel, based on light novel, but I was really into it for a while. I just kind of dropped it for other things for now, but might go back to it later. But um, I was I can't remember the name of it, but I was really impressed with the the monster abilities they had in that game. And one of the unique things, or one in that in that show and book and whatnot. And one of the unique things about it is that it was actually built around the idea of skills and abilities. Like all the monsters, all the people had skills and abilities from birth and like whatnot. And I thought the the abilities and skills I came up with were kind of ingenious. And one of them that really caught my attention was called the six zombie. Um, and when you first encounter, you're like, why is it called the six zombie? It just looks like a regular zombie. And then you come to find out as you, every time you kill it, a piece of it breaks off and it ends up having six pieces, the hands or the arms, the legs, the torso, the head. And I forget the other two, but, um, so basically, it's it's basically six creatures in one, and they all act independently, and then you have to like kill them all off in order to kill the whole thing. And I thought it was a really neat idea, and it's something I've been wanting to implement in Pathfinder 2e because I think it, it lends itself well to that kind of thing. Um, and it also solves the problem of, you know, 
oftentimes you as a gm you kind of wade between the idea of sending a lot of monsters at your party one big powerful monster a, a somewhat powerful monster and a couple minions like it kind of solves that for you because it starts off as a, a powerful monster and then as you hack away at it it turns into multiple monsters and it kind of creates this this interesting dynamic in the combat um Not there was a 5e there's a there's a guy who did a blog post and i wish i could remember his name or what the name of the blog was um but he came up with the idea of you know 5e notoriously has the problem of scaling large solo enemies against the a, a party of x right um and he came up with this idea of well if it's a large maybe it's a large single enemy in flavor but there's nothing keeping it from being multiple enemies in practice right like you could just mm -hmm. have a single enemy but it's made up of multiple components that each has its own turn initiative so then it's no different than having multiple enemies it's just flavor wise it's one creature that's genius actually that's really smart a lot of uh like old school rpgs kind of do that where there's different parts to the to the boss yeah you know they're gonna have turrets or uh, I think of Chrono, Chrono Trigger instantly when you mentioned that. There's like a dragon tank that has like a head, a wheel, and its like main body. Yep. And depending on what you take out, it's going to determine its, you know, what yeah. part or what ability is the biggest threat. And I think in those kind of games you're talking about, another interesting aspect of those different opponents is they usually have different weaknesses and resistances and whatnot. Um, so you can, like, what, in what order you take them out is usually somewhat important, right? Does it help for mm -hmm. a, to be efficient? And I think that zombies or undead in general lend themselves well to that kind of component, uh, component approach because, you know, you rip off a zombie's arm, they're not going to die again, right? Like, or you rip mm -hmm. off a skeleton. I mean, like, I think one of the abilities when we get the skeletons is like it rips off one of the ribs and throws it at the creature. Like, I thought that was genius. Missile. Gotta love that. <laughs> So there, I think, I think Undead are a perfect time to... that you're describing that's literally in Pathfinder. Um, I'll have to look it up later. But um, exactly like what you're describing, it's a, like a, a pile of corpses. Like it's like an entire legion. It's an entire army of corpses mm. like kind of put together. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I'll have to check that out. Um, oh. Are you ready to talk about skeletons? Yeah, that's, that, that seems like a good segue to me. So let's go into skeletons. Uh, like zombies, they provide a few, you know, generic ones up front with some ideas, but they lean into very much like, you know, this isn't this isn't everything. You, you can go crazy with undead. So here's some example abilities. Maybe come up with your own, but feel like try to strive to create your own to make it interesting and unique. Um, you want to talk about some of these abilities, Jack? Um, I've got a bone to pick with a few of these here. Um... <laughs> There's the pun. Yeah, I've I've been been dishing them out. Uh, I'm digging them up. So um, let's exhume some of these options here. We've got the Blaze Source, which is it's iconic to me for people who've played a lot of Castlevania. Um, we don't we don't have D and D Dad tonight, but but causes you know you love to laugh at those guys. Um, <laughs> if you play a lot of Castlevania, you have fought against skeletons that are flaming, and I don't know who came up with this idea of flaming skeletons. Like, uh, it's not in any, would you say, I don't think it's in any, like, original mythos, you know, just like, they were trying to think of, how do we make these skeletons more intimidating? I don't know, let's put flames around them. And um, so if you played any Castlevanias or, like, Ravenloft, 
lighting up or, the skeleton uh, and giving that it that Marvel, fire. What's that it, Marvel hero that uh, rides the motorcycle and oh my Nicolas God. Cage um, played him? Ghost Rider. Ghost the, Rider. Negative, negative, negative Ghost Rider. Negative. Yeah. That's uh, uh that is that is a perfect uh Hey Alos, good luck with your game. Have a great night. Take care. Thanks for us. Uh but yeah, I think I don't yeah, I think you're right. I don't think of I can't think of any like you know, mythology you totally like from cultural <laughs> mythology that has that kind of idea off the top of my head. But it's somewhere along the line it, it someone thought of it and started implementing it into pop culture. I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. I mean uh, it's so I'm gonna start calling it Ghost Rider from now on, and uh, <laughs> giving your giving your creature like switching up its immunities and weaknesses. As like we just talked about, like that with the the T virus option for mm -hmm. uh, the zombies, like switching it up so that they're immune to fire and then weak to cold. Uh, I love absolutely love that. Uh, or maybe you have a um, a White Walker style where they're more cold oriented and weak to fire, right? You could also go the uh, other way, so. Yeah, uh, World of Warcraft definitely did that with um, all of the Northrend campaign. It was just full of frozen zombies. There's so much undead in that. Uh, I mean that that was the uh, well, you had an entire had you had an entire night. player race of undead in that game, right? There was uh, Forsaken. Yeah. So I don't know. So, I think I think elements and resistances and weaknesses are where you can really get fancy with undead because. There's really nothing stopping you from doing anything with them because they're already dead, right? They could be anything. They could be vine zombies that are. Yeah. What's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You gonna kill them? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely encourage GMs to get really creative with their undead and kind of steer away from using just the the plain ones in the best Jerry. Maybe at level like one, maybe two, where the players are still vulnerable. <laughs> uh, you might. Have like a bunch of zombies to kind of flesh out a combat. So um, one of the first combats we did in Tagasia, there was some undead, and I was trying to give you guys a flavor for you know what was going to be entailed in the combat. So as a GM, you know you're planning out these combats, and you kind of want to set the tone. And fighting undead in Tagasia was kind of like an upfront, you know, teaser as to what's going to be happening. And as you guys can see now, you can look back on, you know, like your previous fights where you guys are in a crypt and you're fighting a bunch of different undead. I kind of did that from the get-go with each of these skeletons or undead. You can you can make the fight more interesting by kind of giving everyone a different ability. Mm -hmm. Even at level one, you can still give one guy a, a special ability to kind of make them stand out from the pack. Kind of like the you know, commander. Higher levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one and along those lines, another thing I like to do with undead just across the board is I find that undead are a species, I guess, that lends itself well to strength in numbers. So I like to, instead of having like a, a small number of powerful undead, I much prefer to have a lot of a lot of weaker undead. You know what I mean? So like reduce the average level of the, the creatures, but then add a bunch of them and kind of you need to get those flanking bonuses and whatnot. Now, you can't go too crazy with this. The way Pathfinder 2e math works, if you go too far below the players, then you basically lose all effectiveness altogether of them. So you do have to, um, you know, be careful about it. But going like, for instance, if it's a level one party, maybe putting a bunch of level negative one zombies, 
there. Yeah, you can set it up by just reducing the level of all of your undead and then giving them some fun abilities. Yeah. And that'll just make the fight more memorable. But if you think of like like pop culture, right? One of the things that makes undead, whether zombie or otherwise, most scary, so to speak, is that they're usually presented in large, overwhelming numbers that you know, it's like mm -hmm. you have to wade through them in order to get anywhere rather than like each one of them is weak on its own, right? You can hack off its head or whatever, no problem. But once, you know, when there's a whole horde of them, that's when things get dicey, right? They, they definitely got strength in numbers. Um, so some of these other abilities, bloody, uh, the skeleton is covered in dripping blood and gains fast healing equals level. I thought this one was cool because it's not really... Um, it's not really a new attack, or it's not really, uh, you know, changing its weakness or resistance or whatever. But it's it's at it's basically giving it a permanent condition, right? And I thought that was a neat approach. It also makes them a bit more resilient because they have that fast healing. So, you know, that commander's that commander undead that Jack just talked about. This might be a good one for them because it, it ensures they stick around a little longer, even if the party kind of goes after them first. Yeah, that makes. Uh... That makes people who are who like to kind of you know a thousand cuts slowly mm -hmm. you know or especially like with AOE damage in Pathfinder it's way less yeah and so dishing out that you know by numbers if you you know you're hitting five targets and you're getting way more damage output using AOE but if you're hitting enemies that are going to start healing as soon as they take hits instead of like a fighter who is you know going to get a setup with flanking and is going to try to you know trip the creature to get that increased chance so that they deliver a crit and you know dish out enough damage to kill them in one blow or enough damage where it makes a, a bigger dent um i feel like a, a bloody skeleton is going to definitely stifle area of effect damage or especially damage over time effects yeah and then the next one is a uh, bone missile which is the one i talked about with the rib right where he yanks out a rib had his rib cage and you basically uses it a javelin. He just throws it at somebody. And I thought, like, flavor-wise, that is perfect, right? Uh, the skeleton does lose HP, which I thought was funny. Um, it's so humorous. Like, this is somebody, like, whoever designed this ability, uh, I want to know who so I can give, like, props to the producer because this is clearly, like, some labor of love right here. Taking... It's so thematic. Like as you read it, you cannot help but imagine an, an undead being like, "I'm out of arrows," and he just rips out a rib. You know. <laughs> it's interesting that it uses the attack bonus of whichever of the skeleton's other strikes as the highest attack bonus and deals piercing damage. If you're creating new undead, you could get really creative with this and make this a pretty potent attack. Um, and of course, if it's a higher level, the sacrifice is that it loses a substantial amount of HP. Um, it could kind of be like more of a last stand thing. I feel like at that at that point, which would be kind it of has, cool. It has the potential to be very comedic with a player being like, "You're out of arrows," and they're like, <laughs> you know, they get this last laugh, or they're like, "Oh yeah, I might be out of arrows." Yoink. Would it'd be really funny too if it was like I said, if, if like they're doing that act would basically take them out in the process. It would be like a fun like little martyrdom, right? Oh no, they're like they rip out their uh rib and then they die from the damage yeah but they but they then, right at they die right after they get that last attack off like maybe maybe they're at like one hp right and they're like screw mm -hmm. it i'm dying anyway like <laughs> taking you out with me you know 
that's kind of i think that's where i would use that ability most often i feel like especially as a higher level one dead um there's some other funny ones too like collapse i think is pretty brilliant basically if the skeleton takes a critical hit they can turn it into a normal hit by just falling like collapsing into a pile of bones and then they can use an action to reform on their next turn which i thought is a really it's a reaction too which i thought is a really useful thing for an undead to have um i would then, probably add this to basically any skeleton i make yeah, ever i think every skeleton should have access to this ability it kind of reminds me of the stalfo knights from legend of zelda mm -hmm. definitely um, explosive death. When the skeleton is destroyed, its bones shatter and explode as the necromantic energy holding it together is released. This is the same kind of like martyrdom kind of thing. Like, what hey, I don't this, get though is. So, this is just a passive ability. That's interesting. I, I had this uh, ability when I was playing a cleric in 3.5, and it's very clear that this, this ability has kind of evolved from 3.5 Pathfinder and into second edition because this was a feat that i had taken for my undead cleric and um it was uh, i think acid damage but um this one here is flashing close enough but yeah, um, i mean this was extremely useful because i had an army of skeletons up against a dragon and i i couldn't even really hit the dragon but i just sent my skeletons within melee range and the dragon just killed all my skeletons and <laughs> took a ton of acid damage That's clever but you know i don't i don't know why I'm wondering if they have equivalents of this in other types of creatures as well, because I don't think this should be specific to zombies. I think this is a real... I mean, skeletons. I feel like this is a really interesting ability that has a lot of potential in various types of creatures. Um, I have not seen this ability used that much in Pathfinder. I remember it being in 5th edition. There is quite a few, like... Um, maybe I'm thinking of 4th, because I love the Monster Manual in 4th edition where like the monster was like had volatile acids in their body or fire there's like some fire beetles or scarabs that when you killed them they like detonated and made like a little firebomb mm, yeah yeah i think the whole explode explosion on death is kind of a a neat mechanic you, you again you see this replicated a lot in various video game rpgs as well and it's always done to great effect in my opinion so mm -hmm. um i'd like to see more of these kind of abilities and and kind of a note to myself, uh, start adding these kind of things to more of monsters I create. Uh, screaming Skull. The skeleton removes its... <laughs> this one's really funny. The skeleton removes its skull and throws it, making a jawless attack with a range of 20 feet. It then attempts to demoralize each foe within 10 feet of the target. The head bounces, rolls, and even flies back, returning the skeleton to surface next turn. The skeleton is blind to then. So first of all, this is really good action economy because it's basically two actions to do... or takes two actions to do three actions. First, interacts action to move your skull off your head or off your neck. Second action to throw it. And a third action to um, demoralize. demoralize, which wow. I'm a little. Okay, so this is what I'm saying. Why does seeing, the demoralize okay? happen after the jaws attack? I feel like it should be the other way around. Yes, yes, I agree. I totally agree. But that would be extremely powerful. It but would, this, but it would also be awesome. Thematic. You know, you know, are you envisioning what I'm envisioning when I read this? Well, I'm envisioning like very cartoony, like I'm thinking rip it, of like, rip it uh, off and throw it and Ichabod stumble Crane? around. What was that? Have you watched? Do you know Ichabod Crane? Ichabod Crane, yeah. Yeah. So t their skull should be a jack o' lantern, and they pull off their pumpkin head and hurl it at them. Yeah, pumpkin head, pumpkin head creatures are actually. Do those game. exist in Pathfinder Two E? Like. 
I don't think, not in two weeks, but I'm pretty sure they are in some of the D and D editions I've played. I remember mm, there was a scarecrow in scarecrow in fifth edition. Yeah, we had a we had a scarecrow monster in fifth. I can't recall to be honest. It's been a long time since I've played a fifth edition game. <laughs> Well, we, um, we played one against. Uh, I think I don't know if you were there for that game, but you were in that game um, back in uh, at Comic Quest. Yes, at Comic Quest, there was. Uh, I think it was two scarecrows. I don't recall. I remember we fought some jackals and whatnot on like a Halloweeny theme thing, but I don't remember. It's been a long time. Um, but I do really like this ability. Um, I think they're for a higher level undead i might actually swap the demoralize and the jaws attack for something a bit more devastating um it is a two action you know ability right so um the one thing I, I find interesting about this is um the arrest trajectory psi cantrip from the psychic uh play test that's out or the monk's ability that's whose name I can't remember, but basically lets you like catch a projectile and then optionally throw it back. So one, if you catch the projectile, I would it basically loses its head, right? Because it can't it can't return at that point. Um, but if you do throw it back, that would be even more comedic because now this thing's returning back to it. It just hits it in the chest or whatever, and it kind of like has to pick it up off the ground or whatever. I don't know. I think it'd be really funny. Uh, as well and i don't know if they does, considered those kind of abilities when they made this but um don't throw this skeleton head at your at your friendly alchemist because they'll put a they'll put a special vial in the head <laughs> just for you return to sender does alchemist have a reaction that lets them do that no but i would totally allow that yeah that'd be a, that'd be a fun one um even like and skeleton then, head aside, maybe just take projectiles. Like a projectile comes at them, they arrest it, and then quickly slap a a potion on the end of it and throw it back. <laughs> it was exa exactly like a fire, fire molotov or something. Yeah. Uh, this last one is totally like Tagasia, the skeleton rose. Um, Thick briars have grown from... through the skeleton's bones, covering it and red roses with inch-long thorns. The skeleton's unarmed melee strikes deal additional piercing damage equal to one-third the skeleton's level, minimum one damage. I don't I don't like that. That's a little too much math to be convenient. Um, one every three levels. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's it's annoying. It's, it's not convenient. Um, but anyway, at the end of each of its turns, if the skeleton has caused piercing damage with, all, with its thorns, it regains HP equals, equal to its level, minimum of one again. Each time the skeleton regains HP in this way, another rose blooms. So that's really cool thematically. And it's quite powerful, too. Um, I feel like it got cut off. You know, like, it says each time it regains, or like, it grows another rose blossom. So, like, they just, like, left it in the, the GM's hands of, like, you know, what does it mean to have another rose blossom, yeah. you know, kind of grow on this uh, creature? I feel like there's room to improve right here. Yeah, there's definitely some more stuff you could add there on, add on to that one, which is an interesting point. Um, and again, these are all just suggestions, right? Like you could modify these or place these, do whatever you want with them. Um, and I think that's really what they intended when it came to undead, because all the undead have these kind of ability lists that a lot of the other, um, types of creatures don't necessarily have. Um, and then you could, they kind of took this and ran with it. Like, as you see, like down here, your members, 
there's a lot of different kinds of skeletons. There's skeleton giants, skeleton horses, skeleton harpies, skeleton champions. You can really make anything a skeleton. Um, uh, the ones that I used in Tagusia, they were the... Uh, I'm surprised there's no skeleton uh, dragon. Um, the skeletons that I used had the, uh, I think it was the yellow moss. That was the, what I used for the root of, uh, for a dredged, what was that called? In Tagasi, you mean? Yeah, I, they had straight from the bestiary, I think it was two. There was a, a skeleton that had like a, a type of fungus. Mm. It was exactly what I was looking for when I was trying to make. Uh, the creatures, you know, before because I started making Tagusia before uh, second edition came out. Right. Of yeah, course, I'm not I sure. Can't find... I don't see anything in second edition, at least, for skeletons like that. Oh, um, I'll find it eventually. Um. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, ghosts next, which I didn't pull up. So let me do that real quick. So I think we had um, oh, treat. Spirit Anchor was the uh, was the curse that we wanted to cover. Uh, spooky nights and holidays, we're gonna have curses are perfect. So if you're thinking of like bewitched, where there's a curse, witches are gonna be putting curses. So throwing curses around. If you're looking for a really good one to kind of throw at your players, uh, this is around level 13 so i think it would be appropriate for any group around 10 to 15 you just adjust that dc as necessary uh, spirit anchor is as soon as they realize what they're cursed with your players are probably going to freak out this uh this curse prevents your soul from moving on after death if you die while affected your spirit is anchored to the material plane and you become a ghost or inappropriate uh, incorporeal undead so this is actually, this blends itself really well to revenants. So thematically, mm -hmm. revenants are creatures who have died or some kind of grudge and something left unfinished. And they come back uh, as a incorporeal being, uh, basically hell-bent uh, on completing or resolving that grudge, whatever it is. Um, I think that use, giving the players an option to go this route when they die mm -hmm. is a interesting interesting play you know normally when a player dies their soul goes off to whatever your realm is in your world um and then they can it can be brought back if it's willing uh via some kind of reincarnate or a resurrection spell or uh feat or whatever and then but that maybe that's not what happens right maybe they they have something left unfinished and they come back as a revenant instead um and their soul can't pass on to the afterlife to be resurrected until they complete whatever task is given them this gives a bit of uh adds a bit of a story element to their death gives them mm -hmm. your party a new quest i mean assuming that the player is willing to work with the revenant to complete their goal then you can your party kind of gets this brand new side quest that they can go on right um and it, it adds a bit more uh Makes makes their death more interesting, right? I always say that death is the least interesting thing that can happen to a player, and I stand by that. Um, death is so, only the beginning. Yeah, so I mean, whether the... we talked about capturing the players in the past or doing things other than letting them die, 
Um, but this is also an option. If they do die, and but they come back really quickly as a revenant and have to do something to let their soul ascend, right? Um, yep. You kind of did this in Tagasia, Jack, with one of our party members. I recently did. Um, before I get into the revenant, I found Yellow Musk Thrall, which I was looking for. Mm. If anyone is interested, check out Yellow Musk Thrall. Is that for... a 2E or a 1E creature? 2E. Okay. It's a creature, it's a minus 1 uh, CR, and it's basically what happens when you mix plants with necromancy. I mean, I, I think that's an underutilized theme there. Um... Absolutely. There, there needs to be good druids and kind of you know, yeah. evil druids, and there's not a whole lot of blight or pestilence, and I feel like it was much more prevalent in 3.5 and Pathfinder 1, and I feel like 2E kind of kind of went a little cartoony with the druids not having access to the the darker sides. If you even look at 5th edition, they've got a circle that's kind of dedicated to fungus. Yeah. So I think at some point we'll see something there. Um, I hope so. Where there's new primal a... spells that are necromantic, or so... a new druid subclass. So for a revenant, what um the party is you guys are like level nine, ten. I guess you guys are ten. You're about, I think you guys just, we just hit up 11. To 11. Yeah, we just hit eleven. Right. So to give you an idea, their CR is ten. The party went down into a crypt. They went to the very end of the crypt and they skipped kind of all of the side stuff. And they didn't realize that there was different um rituals being cast to kind of bolster the undead. So they knew something nefarious was going on, but they went straight to the end and fought a very hard fight. And they decided to do the smart thing and run, which I don't know any party group who would decide to run from a from a <laughs> fight. You guys, you guys did an amazing job. That I tried to run all the time. <laughs> you well, you're playing a rogue, so yeah. you tend to be kind of controlling the crowd from a from a different perspective. You're usually, you know, taking out the snipers and uh, you know, flanking the enemy. So your guy has a lot of mobility. Yeah. So. We got to give it to you for for doing you know, running that other part of the operation, but um, the party fled and they lost one of the party members to a kind of like a demented creature that was kind of sucking their soul, and we re resurrected the player. The player came back a little you know a little scarred from from their experience, and they went back down into the crypt. And what did they find at the bottom of the crypt, John? Themselves. Well. The All of the, the people who died down there were brought back as undead. And I felt yeah. the I didn't have to do really I didn't really have to do anything. Every, the stage was completely set. As soon as they saw what was down there, they were like, oh no, that's 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 me. Yeah. And <laughs> the party obliterated their undead selves. They were like, Nope, not having it. <laughs> it was it was a massacre. That uh that particular undead had plans. I, I was, you know, I was hoping to really get to use them, but I don't even think they got a single turn in. It was, uh, it's kind of yeah, sad. That's kind of a different way of running running a revenant in that it becomes a copy of the soul, right? Um, another way you could run it is the soul can't be resurrected until the revenant deals mm -hmm. with whatever stuff it's got to deal with. Um, they got to do that geese, that quest. Yeah. They got to complete that job. So there's different, yeah. There's different ways you could kind of cut that cake, right? Um, and really, it's a fantasy game, so you could do whatever the hell you want, and there's uh, sky's the limit. 
Well, There's more than one way to raise a zombie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. Kind of we didn't really go into ghosts yet. So we talked about revenants, which right, we did. is kind oh, of a type of ghost. Not entirely, but... Yeah, I, I skipped around with the with the curse. What do we got for the incorporal creatures? Those guys... I mean, I like to think back to Morrowind. One of my first experiences in a really immersive role-playing kind of game uh, before hitting Daggerfell. Uh, in Morrowind, you, you go into your first kind of delve, little itty-bitty dungeon. You get to that first treasure, you're feeling greedy, you find something, and then you get attacked by a ghost. And you have no way of dealing damage to it because you don't have a magic item, you don't have any silver weapons. So we were talking earlier about how skeletons, you know, they've got their... Uh, resistance to slash, weakness to bludgeoning. Zombies are weak to the slash and resistant. And then ghosts show up and they're just like, <laughs> you guys you guys and your resistances, uh, how do you feel about resistance to martial weapons? <laughs> uh, we had one particular party member who wasn't super enthused, enthused with the, the ghosts you threw at him. Right, wasn't that a, the hottest take you've ever seen? <laughs> Um, so one, a couple of interesting things about ghosts too is that, well, one, they respawn. You can't actually like kill a ghost. You, like you do, but it respawns again two to four days later, um, at the same place that it died previously. Um, unless you said. unless you complete a quest that lets their soul rise, right, or expels the soul from, unchains their soul from the material realm. Basically, um, I thought this was really cool because it gives GMs a really easy way to introduce a side quest into the game um I, I think it makes it, ghosts uh, a bit more important as as creatures than just some random trash to kill right I, I like to use it as a reward system for players who like to do soul stealing <clears throat> cough <laughs> did i cut out there i thought i heard a bit of feedback no that was yeah. me oh okay, oh, okay. So uh, there, there's always another way, and I think ghosts with their respawn, it's just you got to kill them with extra steps. Yeah. You know, um, a really good vampire, the players will beat him, and if they don't follow through, you know, that's undead. Mm -hmm. It's a type of undead. They don't follow through with the uh, scattering their ashes or holy water on their tombstone. I feel like ghosts are the same way. You should, if you have a very focused uh, fight that's based on a spirit or a ghost. You should definitely drive home. Like the NPCs should be um, in your party, should kind of gear you up for like what you need for that, and um, you know the superstition should be hinted at ahead of time, and then you should definitely throw that at the players. You know, if if they if they don't follow through with that, then that ghost should come back and haunt them again. Well, that's that leads me to the other interesting aspects of ghosts in Pathfinder 2e. I mean, assuming you, you know, give them to them, but I mean they're typically they're sight bound, so. Basically, they can't stray very far from where their material body died. Um, mm -hmm. So they're, they're very much our haunts, right? They're like these things that are kind of changed to the material world, to a specific place in the material world. Um, and they're just destined to just roam a small area until their soul is unbound, right? Um, so I think, I think when you create a ghost, you should think really a lot about who they were before death, right? And give them a personality, give them, uh, you know, ghosts aren't typically a creature you just throw at your player to, as something to kill. It's typically 
a plot device is really what it is. Um, whether it is just a small piece of another bigger plot, um, like maybe there's a quest to go deal with something, and it turns out a ghost is involved in it, and you know, in order to solve the original quest, you now have to deal with getting this ghost out of the picture or helping it or however you want to see it. Um, or it can be uh, a plot device on, on its own. Like maybe the the ghost itself is the initiator of the entire quest line. So there's a lot of things you can do there. Um, they are flying creatures, of course, because they're incorporeal. Um, they don't, they're not like walking on the ground or anything. They're float, typically hovering or floating or flying. Um, like pretty much all undead, they're negative, negative healing. So, you know, you, you cast heal like this, the spell heal on them and it'll, uh, hurt them rather than heal them. And likewise, if you cast any positive or uh, negative magic on them, like ne necromantic magic, then it'll actually heal them rather than hurt them. Um, that, uh, that heal spell in Pathfinder 2e, uh, fifth edition, if you're paying attention, you definitely need a spell like Holy Nova. Being able to just drop down a healing spell I mean, its versatility for healing all your party members in the area for a decent Are you talking about the, the holy, what, the one that's like puts a beacon on the ground you can touch? Are you talking about that one? No, just the regular heal spell oh. and just how versatile it is because it's, yeah. it's kind of the MVP in our, in our group. So both the spellcasters were casting it every round because they were healing and dishing out damage. Yeah. Was, also, you know, I mean, yeah, effect. definitely I love the versatility of heal with the, the one to three actions. I thought was a really clever clever approach to that. Um, and I like that they're starting to add more and more of those kind of multiple the spells that can be used in multiple ways. Um, they are immune to death, as we mentioned, because... Of course, they respawn, so like death effects are not going to have any effect on them. Uh, they're also immune to disease, paralyzed, poison, precision, unconscious, typically. And of course, you can pick and choose from any of those immunities and create them however you want when you're creating your own ghosts. These are just kind of typical things. Um, they're also typically resistant, uh, in this case, damage 5 to um, all damage, basically, except force, ghost touch, or positive damage. Um, and they actually have double resistance, so resistance 10, uh, to non-magical damage, typically. So these things really don't like to be hit by, you know, non-magical attacks. Um, or rather, they, they don't like to take damage from non-magical attacks. They do like to be hit by them because it doesn't hurt mm -hmm. them very much. Um, and I do like that they provide some guidelines for scaling that resistance as the level of the creature scales up. Um, ghostly hand. All ghosts have a ghostly hand unnamed attack that deals negative damage. It typically has the agile, finesse, and magical traits. Some ghosts wield ghostly memories of weapons they held in life, but the effect is the same. This is more of a flavor thing to give reason behind why they have weapons. Right. It's like the opposite of ghost touch. Right. It's kind of explaining like what it feels like to get hit by a ghost. It's super thematic, and uh, especially considering that, like, you know, they'll be wielding whatever they held in their original life. Yeah. That's an, like I said, you really want to sit down. When you create, when you throw ghosts at your party, you really want to sit down and think about who they were, what, what their motivations were, what kind of 
thing why were they why were they chained to this world and why how can they get out of it because while ghosts can be quite deadly as we'll see in the special ability section they're not really there just to be cannon fodder for your party they're meant to be no. plot devices I, I think I used, uh, were you present for any of the ghost fights that we had in Tagaseya? No, that was when I took my break. Uh, that was mm -hmm. when you got, they were doing the south of Basaris, right? Yep, south yeah. shore. South shore, uh, yeah. I was not, I was there for the very beginning when we first saw the ghosts, but I, sh I took my break shortly after there and didn't actually get a chance to interact with any of them. When I was, when I was looking up, like, what they suggested using for ghosts, I kind of already had an idea about using them with a proper theme mm -hmm. so they're they were kind of living out you know their their death scene in this particular phase like I'd, if you encountered them before that they'd be living out like a normal life you know mm -hmm. just as, as they don't even realize that they're dead kind of uh sixth sense bruce willis style but for this particular scene it was a very you know plot driven uh part where they're all kind of have a, a mob a riot outside someone's house before they burn someone's house down and um, it was extremely thematic because the, the goal was to kind of convey a little bit of story and a little bit of lore so that the party was super invested by trying to figure out, you know, if if they can figure out the mystery, then they might not have to actually deliberately fight all these ghosts. And the party members ended up figuring out, you know, what they needed to do because the ghosts are, no matter what level you're pitting ghosts at your party, ghosts are hard to fight. And so the party was able to figure out what you know they needed to do in that regards and then you know kind of banished all the ghosts and made made it out scot-free and of course they got rewards for you know completing the objective you don't have to kill everything to get experience for it right um some of these special abilities are actually really cool um i like that a lot of them add conditions to the player in addition to dealing damage Oh, yeah. um, that really drives the point home that these are incorporeal beings and they're touching their souls directly rather than interacting with their physical bodies. Um, draining touch is an awesome one because I love the drain condition. I think it's super cool and I think it's especially potent at lower levels when you don't have a drained. lot of HP to begin with. Um, drained is amazing. It just reminds me of the, the negative levels that people feared in 3.5 and Pathfinder. I don't mm -hmm. think have, did you ever play with any negative level stuff no, in the older editions? No. Oh man. It was it was horrifying. Drained is a great compromise to that because it's it's much easier to manage. Like when we give you the drain condition, you can kind of figure, you know, like stage 1, you just remove one per level of of HP, you know. Pretty straightforward. Right. And um an interesting thing about this particular ability is in addition to giving the drain condition, um, it actually siphons that HP and like the ghost regains HP equal to half its own level, which to me, that's like what drain, how I envision drained in my head, right? Like that's the, my head canon of how drains working. Basically, you know, they're, they're siphoning the, the health from, the player character to themselves and kind of using it to heal themselves. And it kind of bothered, always bothered me that the drain condition was called drained, but inherently didn't do that kind of thing. Um, right. It's like they're sucking your soul and gaining sustenance from it. Yes. Yeah. I've used that before. And you guys, you guys did not like that ability. I mean, I, I mean, definitely I, made you invested, but uh, we're spicing up the undead right here. 
Uh, I wouldn't say I didn't like it. I would say Neil got hit pretty hard with it, and he had a really hard time with... Neil always has a really hard time with uh, roles to recover from conditions. Right. You can dish out those conditions, but you can't take conditions. Exactly. Like, if I get hit with a condition, I'm basically out for the whole fight because I can't get rid of it. <laughs> and Drain you, you 10, I got hit with yeah. right before I got hit with... I'm trying to think... I think it was a bleed condition, maybe? Right before you, it happened, got, right after the drain, drain condition? You got a bleed and a drain condition yeah. all in one. And, and I, I feel, could not I get rid of that bleed good. condition. And it was like a drain 10. So, like, I was, like, down, like, 10 max HP or something. So, um, yeah, I, were, I would say I didn't drain, like it. I would say that Nil had a really bad time with it. <laughs> you were drain, like, what? Like, drain 2 and it ended up being 10 HP based on your level or something, something like, like that? Something like that, yeah. Or just, just drain 1 would have taken 10 HP off your level if so you were maybe level it was 10. drain 1. I don't remember. Yeah. Drained is not it's not a joke. It's and I, I like that it's it's only used it, the, I think it's used the right amount of these different abilities. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite ability on the ghost bar is still the uh, uh malevolent uh, possession. Yes, I was just about to say that one. You oh, literally possess way. another creature. Um specifically a corporeal one. It's basically the possession spell, right? It lets you take control of them. Um which, by the way, is a seventh level spell. Yeah, it does say you... two, except since the guest the ghost doesn't have a physical body, it's unaffected by the restriction of the spell. Which I don't recall what that restriction is. Um, um, the restriction would be something about waking up. Um, I'm not sure. So let's see, the possession says, you send your mind and soul into the target's body, attempting to take control, the target must attempt a will save. You can choose to use the effects of a degree of success more favorable to the target if you prefer. While you're possessing a target, your own body is... Oh, that's probably what it is. Your own body is unconscious and can't wake up normally. It's because they're not... <laughs> you don't there. have a body. Yeah. That's uh. So that's that's even better. Uh, so yeah, use that spell uh, when you really want to scare your, your players. Possession is, uh, I mean, as you've seen before, turning party members against each other in, in the middle of combat is definitely going to change Chaotic. your combat. <laughs> yeah, it's it's scary. Going toe-to-toe -to -toe against mere duplicates or some party member getting possessed because, I mean, it takes it takes so many other people out of the fight. If the, the main fighter is out of the fight, who's going to tank and who's going to break away and try to break that possession Right. You know, somebody is going to be like, uh, they're possessed. So I'm going to try to snap them out of it. Like they're going to spend their entire turn trying to save that person. I actually really like this telekinetic assault too. The ghost cries out in pain and anguish as small objects and debris fly about a 30 foot emanation. Creatures in this area take 1d6 bludgeon damage plus 1d6 per two levels, subject to the basic reflex save. This is thematically like one of the things that I think of when I think of ghosts is the ghostly scream, right? Like the, the, what's the word the shriek i guess uh the like you know you see in pop culture like when a ghost comes out they shriek and just the oh, air like vibrates they, around them and it causes you know they, uh, when they wail like a banshee wail that's what i was thinking of yeah banshees are totally ghosts yeah i'm surprised banshee's not covered with the in the ghost class well they might be let's see let's go back here i'm, I'm looking up banshee right now it it has the incorporeal spirit and undead, but it didn't fit in with other ghosts. Hmm. 
a shame. That's a that's a miss uh, miss on their part. But they have the whale, which is like a soul chilling, you know, mm-hmm. whale that uh, has like a silence effect. Right. And I, they, always... they kind of implement that here with the <laughs> telekinetic assault. I mean, it's treated more as a telekinetic ability, but you know, they are they are screaming or shrieking out in pain. Um, and that that shriek is what's causing the debris around them to to fly mm-hmm. out. So obviously, there's some kind of like vibrations in the air going on that's causing that debris to fly. So I think that's really cool. Um, and apparently, with one of these adventure paths or, or not adventure paths, but um, whatever they call it, Pathfinder Society things, Eyes of Empty Death, they added a bunch of other special abilities that are kind of cool, like Revenant. Down here, not all ghosts try to possess the living. Some prefer to ride corpses instead, wrenching bodies from shallow graves to serve as their hosts. That's kind of oh, nice. cool. Um, that is great for a spooky season. Mm-hmm. Building, uh, let's see. Phantasmagoria. Ghosts are rarely aware of the passage of time and see no difference between the homes they lived in long ago and the ruins they haunt now. Some ghosts can spread the delusion to others. Uh, gives them the three-action Phantasmagoria ability with a number of traits. The ghost causes all or part of its bound sight to look, sound, feel, and smell like a different kind of place. That one's really... It's basically an illusion ability. Um, typically, the if ghost can recreate only a handful of images, usually different versions of its bound sight as it appears during the ghost's life. This can't disguise any creatures in the area, though it can cause minor cosmetic changes, like causing a creature's clothing to appear nicer for a party... Or bloodstained for a battle. Um, any creature oh, that touches this illusion or uses the seek action to examine it can attempt to disbelieve it. Creatures can't leave the area of the illusion until they successfully disbelieve it. That's cool. That's really neat. All of this right here would be perfect in a Call of Cthulhu campaign. I mean, yeah, I could totally see that. Thematic. Investigating like cold spots or the uh, um, the haunted house, and just like. All of that right there just kind of opens up to, you know, like what a good horror film is going to, you know, deliver, like uh, investigating in that area. I think even in fantasy, uh, you guys really enjoyed because you had the investigator class character with you and just like delving into that haunted ghost town that I've made for you Mm -hmm. guys. I should have used Cold Spot. Memento Mori is really cool. Two action. Uh, ability the ghost causes one creature within 30 feet to relive the ghost's death the target must succeed at a will save or see and feel what the ghost did taking 1d4 persistent mental damage per two levels the ghost has all other creatures are concealed to the target until the persistent damage ends that one's really cool um i imagine a vision like a ghost who was tortured in their life and basically the character has to relive that torturing over and over and over and like like nil who would never in their lifetime succeed at that will save to get rid of it <laughs> uh, that's a that's such a good like artistic trope about reminding somebody of your inevitable death mm-hmm. i think that was what uh what they said behind um who was that famous roman emperor um oh my god I'm not sure. I mean, there was there, the, the um, one who got uh, assassinated. Caesar. <laughs> Why am I drawing a blank? Caesar. Caesar. Uh, yeah, Caesar. 
That's the only famous emperor, a Roman emperor I know. So, <laughs> Julius Caesar, you 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 got it spot on. That was the one I was thinking of. Um, like when they came back from war, there was this like, I mean, it's probably fiction, but mm -hmm. it was said that like there were people trailing behind them who were trying to remind them that you're only human, you know, and uh, eventually you're you're gonna die. Like you know, seek some hubris. So that's what that memento memori means. It's like inevitable death, basically. Yeah. That's such a. Such I mean, a it useful... literally means moment of death. So. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. That's all fun. these are really cool, and I'd be interested to play this. Whatever this is, this Pathfinder number one sixty five, five eyes of empty death. It sounds really freaking cool. In fact, what if what happens if I click on this? We go by the book. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, those uh well, it's those part of the it's part of the abomination from... vaults adventure path. Interesting. Don't they go from like one to twenty? A lot of the adventure paths do typically, yeah. Which is unique to Pathfinder 2E. Like most 5E adventures only go from like up up to like eleventh level at most. Um because the system tends to fall apart at higher levels, um, unfortunately. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Um do you have any other advice to people who are looking to spice up their? I mean, I know you've used undead quite a bit in your campaign. So, um, any like tips or I'm tricks really you found along the way? One of the things that I've um, I'm really hoping is that undead, uh, like a necromancer, gets its own kind of feature in Pathfinder. Um, one of my favorites that kind of it was uh, a spell that was kind of recently released with uh, I think just the advanced player's guide was Animate Dead. And it was kind of like a um, a quick fix to what was missing as far as like Undead goes. Yeah. But uh, I'm not seeing a lot of players using Undead. We had, we had a cleric in our party who was using the Undead and they seemed kind of unsatisfied with the action economy. Yeah, but they were also a new player, which... Wasn't quite used to the Bash economy being with, so they were also playing Marshall, which yeah. is very. It's you know, a, you've played a hunter and you've had a pet, and I think it's the exact same way, where yeah. you've got to decide what the action economy is going to be, and it takes a lot of consideration. Mm. And so I think there needs to be more undead feats for um, for Pathfinder Two E because in the core rulebook. There's a particular page where it just straight up says you can have four undead companions at a time. I think I think and... a necromancer, uh, while I think it makes the most sense as an archetype, as I usually say, um, I do. That I do. That's your catchphrase. I do see Paizo eventually releasing at some point a necromancer class, just kind of like they did with the Oracle and the Thaumaturge. Like they tend to. It's definitely. It's definitely a. Uh, a popular uh I hate to use the word overload the word archetype but a popular archetype and story right is the necromancer um and so there wasn't traditionally a necromancer in 3.5 or pathfinder one so so far it looks like pathfinder 2e is going the direction of kind of remaking all of those classic classes mm -hmm. and necromancer wasn't really mm -hmm. among them interesting so it'll be really interesting to see yeah because uh they wizards had access to feats to make great necromancers and clerics had access to the same feats and so it was kind of like a a difference between you know options of spells because both wizards and clerics had a plethora of spells to choose from you know 
And so in those 3.5 Pathfinder 1, having a Necromancer was easy. An action economy, it was broken. Like, yeah. uh, between a Druid having a huge zoo of creatures and an, a Necromancer having, you know, uh, a graveyard full of undead, like, I th- they kind of... Uh, 4th edition and 5th edition tried to fix all that by removing all that action economy, you know, and not letting you have a bunch of extra lackeys. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that... Pathfinder will kind of release, like you said, an, at least an archetype or some feats. That way, sorcerer, wizard, and um, and uh, clerics will have access to, you know, really making a build that is like that. Or with the direction of archetypes, having that as an access. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like we need to do a necromancer archetype homebrew. But um, I think if so. I were That's to do idea. that, I think the way I would approach that would be first create a number of feats for the different spellcasting classes to begin with. And then create an archetype, excuse me, that um, not only has its own unique stuff, but also can optionally use the additional feats that we that you create there, right? From those other mm-hmm. classes. Um, sort of like the assassin archetype has its own unique stuff, but then it uses a lot of... It, you can also optionally take a lot of feats from, like, the rogue, the rogue class, right? Um, I think that's probably the route I would do if I were to homebrew one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited for the Book of the Dead. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. There's no, they announced there's not going to be any classes in there, which is a bit sad. Um, but I'm hoping did we get some more spells and feats and whatnot in there. Did they say if they were going to have any archetypes in that uh, in that book? I can't remember if they said archetypes or not. I don't want to speak out of turn there. I know they okay. specifically said there were no classes, but I don't recall if they said there was going to be archetypes or not. But at least, so, at the very least, I hope there's more spells and feats added. So all my advice has been to GMs, some advice to players. If you're playing in a Halloween one-shot, you can definitely spook it up. Um, clerics have a real easy time in Pathfinder 2E to run a Necromancer. It's the easiest way to do it right now. Although you can play a Necromantic um, Wizard. You just need to, if you're playing a you know one-shot, take that Ritualist as an archetype. Ritualist will get you the necessary rituals you'll need to kind of summon your own undead. Uh, so if you look at the archetype ritual, it gives you some free ones off the bat, and you should be able to talk to your GM about getting some undead in there. I will say that if you are a player interested in playing a necromancer or a, just a general spellcaster who dabbles in necromancy, um, be sure to talk it out with your part, your fellow players and your GM ahead of time, because they tend to butt heads with other types of part, you know, character builds. So, you know, if you have a paladin in your party, for instance, it's probably <laughs> not going to go well. Um, if you have, uh, what's some other bad combinations? Like if you have, um, rogues and paladins are bad combos, but with necromancers, clerics and paladins, yeah. Um, good faiths usually have a hard time and even some druids have a hard time but you guys just have to you have to play it diablo 2 style where <laughs> you understand that sometimes in order to to face off against a, a super evil bad you need to use something just a little bit more evil yeah and i mean like i said though you gotta talk to your fellow players and make sure everyone's comfortable with that some people really look like to lean into that rp side of things and it just ends up creating table conflicts we you'd rather not deal with 
Um, Halloween one-shots are cool, Kazuma. Guys, if you're looking for a Halloween one-shot, there's probably one in your area. Look at your nearby comic shops. Yeah. Um, down here in Southern California, we've got a um, a bar that's kind of dedicated to playing games. And uh, that tavern um, Gamecraft. has... Gamecraft Brewing. They have uh, Halloween kind of stuff going on there. Uh, Paizo actually just released... Paizo just released the... Uh, did it... Uh, a one shot. I forget the name of it. Um, it's oh, it's got a it's got a it's got a funny name. It's like shot to the brains or something like that, or shot to the gut or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's basically showcasing the guns and gears, specifically the guns uh, from the new guns and gears book, um, in a Halloween themed one shot with zombies and whatnot involved. Looks really fun. Um, maybe maybe we'll put one on. Who knows. Uh, but it definitely, I think it's out already. I'll have to pick that up on their website. But um, there are four, I believe it's built for four players, and there's four pre-generated characters, all gunslingers, which is awesome. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that out if you have the opportunity to. I'd be interested to hear people's feedback on it. I I know I haven't got a chance to play it yet, but it sounds really cool from how they described it. So, um, And... Uh... I'll be super psyched to finally be able to talk about um, my Call of Cthulhu game will be happening starting this Tuesday for spooky season. So, Oh, uh, another announcement we have. I have gotten the basically the final, almost the final copy uh, for the companion rules that we're going to pick up, be putting up on the website. Um, the last thing I need to do before we ship it live is I need to, uh, just a few more things in the copy, but also... Um, I need to create some example stat blocks, which in WordPress is kind of a pain in the butt. So uh, bear with me as I, you know, tighten up those bows and get that out. But I think you guys are really going to like it. Um, I've shared it with a few, you know, friends and peers internally, and I think a lot of them, a lot of them like it so far. So it has so much potential, especially because of its roots that it's coming from. Mm -hmm. And speaking of things that you can find on our website, John, can you take down the, um, the Nethys thing so we can get a look at this beautiful art? Sure. This um, art is from um, Ashley U. We've sent put their link before, and uh, we've shouted out to them on Twitter. Just wanted to show off their amazing art. They are open for commissions, so to you uh, players who are looking to get your character done up in Dungeon Dragons or Pathfinder style, I mean, just look at that art. <laughs> it's gorgeous. They are accepting commissions, so if you like to pay to have somebody make your, um, you know, your character come to life. These guys are amazing to work with. Can't recommend them enough. They're affordable too, right? It was very affordable. Yeah. They were very reasonable and um, <laughs> super professional to work with. After after dealing with a few illustrators who, you know, were not upfront, these people were just. They had all their web pages already set up. They had a great portfolio to look at. So it was just perfect lining up finding them so and i'm definitely gonna be using them in the future because i've got some more art planned is that a helmet or a skull next to the sword at the bottom um so there, i asked for like so this is ancestral deity for those of you guys who haven't checked out the um our web page yet this is an option to choose if you're choosing an alignment that is um more pagan in idea so they worship their ancestors instead of a straight deity and here you can see they're kind of They've laid down their weapons, and this lizard folk has taken off his helmet because you're, you know, mm -hmm. they're in a place of worship. So they're kind of, um, you know, that's like a 
they're prostrated in a in a pose of reverence. So that's their gear that they have laid down. So first of all, I love that helmet. I think it's a really cool design for a helmet. That's so. the coolest spiky helmet. Like <laughs> my personal thing was I asked for a lot of bones and you look, there's like skulls and bones everywhere. And I was so happy. Yeah, yeah it's a blood sacrifice. That is what they're going to do. That yep. is that is what lizard folk do. So um their ancestors definitely want blood sacrifices. It makes them happy. And uh in a typical fashion of ancestral magic, um, the more people who die in your family who are spellcasters kind of add on to the magic that you can then borrow from. Mm -hmm. So these these are ancestors who don't move on to from the material plane. They're kind of bound. Yeah, so, so I guess uh, we should also clarify that on the website, what we have released right now is specifically the quote unquote deity. It's really an ancestral deity, but it's it's the you know talking about the anathema or anathemas the all that stuff there's no mechanics in it right now really but we are releasing going to be releasing soon a cleric path i don't know what they call them pathfinder 2e what's the cleric subclasses called doctrine doctrine cleric doctrines um specifically for this deity so i was playing around with a shaman shaman just doesn't hit right so i gotta find i gotta find something that's gonna feel right with uh, using ancestral magic, so we're still working out the tweaks. Yeah, but we'll have that at some point. Mm -hmm. um, I know I keep saying it, and I know I keep failing to deliver it, but I am going to be doing a test stream of preparations for Shifting Sands for YouTube Live because we may end up switching to that. Still don't know yet. Uh, won't know until I get a chance to try it out. But yeah, I mean, if you see it, if you see it pop up on YouTube, feel free to jump on in. If not, don't feel bad. Um, it's just me playing around with the tools, see what's available to us, see how it works, et cetera. See how it, make sure it works with the, with the software we use for doing the stream and everything. So, um, we still haven't forgotten about the guns and gears deep dives yet either. Um, it's mostly, mostly been my fault. I've been extremely busy and admittedly been slacking a bit on content. So hopefully we can get to that sooner rather than later. Um, but at this point, I don't really want to make any promises of exactly when, cause I'm just, my, my weeks are so packed full right now that I don't even know when the hell I'm going to get to anything. So, my my load is pretty heavy with a, a bunch of extra games because we've got the Cthulhu shot. I've got I just took on a new group of uh, vegan uh, Dungeon and Dragon people. So shout out to those guys who uh, who are interested in me throwing a game for them. We are uh, also in addition to all the other games that we got going down. We are also going to be finish or at least doing the next session of probably three um, of the Fate uh actual play um gotta finish that if you know if, if more if someone else wants to join in they're more than welcome to um we're at a point in the story where introducing a new character could be a possibility so if they you know if you've always wanted to try fate and you always want to give it a go hit it hit us up in the discord um, we'll link the discord in the description of the, the vod on youtube so you can check that out um jack runs a game every uh, Tuesday, uh, more of a long-running campaign um, called Tagaseya that we mention all the time in the stream. If that's it's Pathfinder 2E, if that's something that interests you, let us know. I run a West Marches style game that has kind of been slow burning right now because a lot of people have been really busy and we don't have a whole lot of people in the Discord yet. So always looking for more people there to start playing that more often. Um, pretty player driven in that you know we don't there's not like a set schedule if we play this day or this month or whatever. Um, it's more like when people want to play, we decide a time, we decide what we're going to do, and we hash it out and go for it. 
Um, so it's kind of more ad hoc uh, than something That's more exactly consistent. That's exactly how a Westmarch game should be run, yep. for those of you who are... And then we also have a Starfinder game who we recently have. Uh, John doesn't have time to play because they're going to be doing so much other work. So hit us up if uh, that GM will be looking for some additional people. We'll miss you. I know. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll come back to it. I do love that system, though. As much as I... I prefer Pathfinder 2E from a mechanic standpoint. Um, I do I do enjoy playing Starfinder, so I do kind of miss playing it, but I can only do so much. I'm already super busy, so I had to, you know, cut my line. I, it, was unfair, it was unfair to you guys not being able to join all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's it's same kind of thing with Tagaseya. Like I I'm not I'm not leaving Tagaseya by any means, but I feel bad when I have to miss a session because of work or other stuff going on. And it's just I don't know. I, I didn't I want to do that, that again, so Feel that same feeling that you feel when I'm I'm in another game and and I can't commit, or because of work or travel, and um, our appointments and I'm late to a session. I feel really bad because I feel like I'm taken away from the other players. So I totally get what you're feeling. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, I'm in the video game industry, and we have notorious, you know, notorious for certain Crunch. times where we have a lot to do and we can't, you know, it takes a lot of our free time as well away from us as well. So. Um, it is what it is. I'm trying to be more consistent, at least with Tagaseya. And in doing so, I, I thought, you know, I, I if I'm going to try to be more consistent with Tagaseya, I need to um, free up time elsewhere so to, to tackle the stuff I need to do. So I made the hard decision that I had to leave, I'd leave that campaign. Um, like I said, maybe one day I'll be back. But as of now, they get an open slot, so hit them up. Um, so 31st, next Sunday is a holiday john and i will be off so there won't be a stream but we will be pushing out more content so yep. check us out on all of our socials from twitter to reddit we'll be releasing new content and probably pushing another pre-record to try to get some more stuff out so the next time we'll be meeting again whether on youtube or twitch will be the 7th and we'll have a whole new list up on the website we will post what our next videos are going to be the seventh uh, that that week will also be our twentieth stream or of finding paths. So, um, probably we're gonna try to think of something special to do for that. I don't know what yet, but oh, we talked about this. We have something special planned. I don't know if we're ready to talk about it yet. I don't think so. Um, I'm looking at the emails. We did we did say we had we had something big okay. for it. We'll talk about it some more. I have some other ideas too that we might be able to throw in there as well. So yeah, we'll think of something, something special, but um, yeah. Any, any last, last remarks you want to make before we cut off here, Jack? Um, don't forget to check us out. If uh, we are mostly a audio podcast, so check us out on Spotify. Yes. The more viewers or the more listeners we get on Spotify, the better analytics we get, the better we can tailor this stuff. Uh, like, subscribe, all that jazz. One of the VOD hits on YouTube um, and Odyssey and whatnot. Uh, check us out on Twitter, Discord, Instagram. We're still slacking on Instagram. We really need to get some more content up there. Sorry sorry for that for those of you who are IG fans, but we're working on it. Um, but yeah, until next time, happy gaming. Take care. Bye, guys.